Hey, good afternoon, everybody. We are back. Welcome to episode eight of More Than a Title. I'm your host, Jared Thomas, as usual. And we have a special, special episode and a guest for you today. So the whole the premise of you know our show is More Than a Title and how to get to understand the stories behind the people that we speak with and understand the lessons and the journey. But we're going to do a different format today, and I'm really excited about it. So um, I met Phil, um, who's our special guest, Phil Johnson. Um, We met Phil on LinkedIn, right? And he reached out and actually did a lot of research on him. And we came up with this concept about betting on yourself. And for those who aren't familiar with it, I'm actually planning a TEDx talk next year about this similar topic, right? And how do you change your mindset? So when you reached out to me, Phil, when you said that, I was like, holy moly, is this the stars aligning and all this stuff? Like, this is perfect. So um, I'm, I'm super happy to have you here and um, can't wait to have our, uh, can't wait to have our discussion. So but how, how are you, Phil? How's everything? I'm great. Yeah, Jared, it's, uh, it's an honor to be on your show. I'm excited you, about our conversation. Likewise, likewise, man. Uh, let, let's before we get into the the bet on yourself concept. Um, you have an amazing story, so I, I didn't want to steal your thunder, and I didn't want to tell it for you. But I would love if you could just give us a quick rundown about you know how do you how did you get into the business space, um, and really what um, you know how did you get to where you are today as far as being that executive coach, and how did you change your mindset to to move forward with what you're doing? Yeah, I um, I was born with dyslexia. And um, I failed grade three and I failed grade five. And um, my parents went as far as grade eight in school. They were mm-hmm. born around the turn of the 20th century. And um, it was my mother's death in December of 1967 that caused me to dramatically change the trajectory of my life. In January of 1968, I decided I wanted to do this work, Um, although I really didn't know what this work was. Um, I I became an A student throughout the rest of grade school and high school, went on and got a BCom, most of an MBA, studied electrical engineering, uh, spent 20 years in the semiconductor industry, traveling about 60,000 miles a year uh, throughout North America and the Pacific Rim. And generated over a billion and a half dollars in revenue. Wow. By the time, by 1990, I had all the toys. Um, but I was surprised um, at how dysfunctional uh, people and organizations were. It surprised me because I thought the, the higher you went up the food chain, uh, the better the quality of leadership you would find. Yeah. And uh, that wasn't the case at all. Um, so I turned down two uh, vice presidential roles and decided to leave corporate America so that I could help to lead it in a better direction. And in the last, for the last 21 years, I've been a, I've been a executive coach all over the world. I've coached people running multi-billion dollar companies with thousands of employees and Harvard MBAs and PhDs. And I've been a university faculty advisor to PhD students in organizational development and authentic leadership. Um, I started working when I was nine years old, uh, pulling copper out of the back of dumpsters and selling it for five cents a pound. That was my allowance. Wow. (laughs) Where I grew up, there were no... uh, uh, we had a milkman, bread man, egg man, and potato man. 
they made their deliveries in horse-drawn trucks. Wow. On dirt roads. Um, and there was no, uh, there was, there were, there were no private phone lines. We had a, we shared a phone line with uh, our family, shared a phone line with uh, five other households. Wow! So when you would get on the phone, first of all, you'd you'd have to make sure that nobody else was on the phone before you could use it. And then, um, yeah, so anyway, it was. Uh, so I've um, I've had quite a journey, and um, having had the very good fortune of being born with dyslexia. And by the way, there was no such thing as dyslexia in those days or ADD or ADHD. Yeah. We were just labeled a slow learner. So yeah. I, I carried that label around with me for the first 35 years of my life. I'm 68 wow. now. Wow. So, um, so I've dedicated the balance of my life to helping people understand the value and importance of developing their emotional intelligence, betting yeah. on themselves. Yeah. The way I bet on myself um, to develop their emotional intelligence. Yeah. The development of emotional intelligence will guarantee your career and personal success. It's okay. harder than hell to do, um, but it's e it's essential because of the tsunami of change we're facing. Yeah. Some some scientists estimated, and I'll, I'll shut up in just a second. No, um, so, some scientists estimate that in this century, we're going to experience the equivalent of 20,000 years worth of change. So no. change is increasing at an exponential rate. And we've got a 500 million year old brain that really sucks at change. <laughs> There's significant both biological and sociological resistance we have to change. And that resistance we have to change is going to create increasing levels of drama, chaos, and conflict everywhere in the world. Wow. So the only shot we've got at dampening the effect of the accelerating rate of change we're experiencing is the development of our emotional intelligence. So that's in the last four months, I've only been really, in the last four months, I've been on about 50 podcasts um, talking just like this about the value and importance, trying to help people understand the value and importance of emotional intelligence. It's not a solution to the challenges we face. It's the only solution to the challenges we face. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's so much to impact with what you just said, Phil. And I think that was definitely inspiring. Like first, when you were diagnosed, there was no ADHD or none of that when you were there, right? So essentially they say, hey, like this gentleman, Phil, just, just doesn't get it. He's not able to learn. He's not able to be in these scenarios. We need to give him, we need to come up with a formula or format to help him increase his learning. No, they didn't. No, oh, they, they didn't. didn't. Oh, they no, didn't. No, 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 no. Um, can I just read you a little snippet of my life story? Yeah, yeah, sure. Hang on. This might help put in. Let me um, let me help put this in perspective. Okay. Bear with me. Well, all good. Uh, sing, sing for a minute. 
<laughs> can't sing and I'm stuffy now. Phil. I wish I wish I was sounding better. I feel like I've got a. a All right, here, here we go. Here we go. I entitled this "Why I Created the MBL, the Master of Business Leadership Program." Okay. Uh, I was born in Brantford, Ontario, Canada, on December first, nineteen fifty-three. Our family lived in a lived in a small two-bedroom, post-World War II bungalow where my mom and dad raised three boys. I was the youngest, and quite a surprise, as my mother was in her early forties when I was born. Three boys in one small bedroom in a coal-burning furnace with no air conditioning. My parents were born in 1909 and 1910 and went as far as grade 8 in school. My father was a factory worker who never made more than $5 per hour. During World War II, he served as a sergeant in a mortar artillery platoon in North Africa. His men used to call him the old man because he was 29 years old when he enlisted. As a younger man, he had boxed and played semi-pro baseball. My dad made his own beer and I helped by putting the caps on the bottles. My mother was a factory seamstress who left her job to take care of our family. I was born six weeks prematurely and weighed approximately four pounds. My first six months were spent on an incubator at the local Bradford General Hospital. My dad brought milk to me each day on his bicycle because he didn't own a car. I have dyslexia. It's a neurological disorder that I was born with. I notice it most when I'm trying to spell, read, and occasionally hear. It can cause me to rearrange words and numbers in my mind. I didn't realize I had the condition until about 35 years ago. Back in those days, there was no such thing as dyslexia, ADD, or ADHD. I failed grade three and grade five and was labeled a slow learner. And I used to pray the teacher would never ask me a question, and I rarely made eye contact. Many times, the back of my shirt would be soaked with sweat by the time class was over. Getting a C was a great mark for me. Mm -hmm. A's and B's were out of the question. Some of my earliest childhood memories were that our neighborhood had dirt roads. Asphalt roads, TVs, and private phone lines came several years later. We also had a milkman, breadman, eggman, and potato man that made their deliveries in horse-drawn trucks. I started working when I was nine years old, pulling copper wire out of the back of factory dumpsters and selling it for five cents a pound. That was my allowance. By the time I was 12, I had a part-time job working in a produce factory loading boxcars. I also worked as a caddy at a local golf course. I had money. Life was good. A few years later, my mother developed breast cancer. She underwent radiation and chemotherapy, which led to a radical mastectomy. On December 3rd, 1967, she died. It was two days after my 14th birthday. I was in grade seven at the time. One month later, I made a decision that was to change the trajectory of my life. It was a snowy January night around midnight, and I was taking my dog Duke for a walk. He was a blue tick hound my parents had given me as a puppy when I was five years old. Standing behind a local factory, I decided to go for it. I was going to see what was on the other side of the hill and come back and help my friends that had already given up on life. That decision began a 54-year journey that continues today. I became an A student throughout the rest of grade school and high school. My dad died in May of 1974 as I was completing grade 13. Four years later, I graduated in the top of my class from the the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I also played football and basketball. Later, I spent five years studying electrical engineering while beginning what turned out to be a 20-year career in the semiconductor industry. By the time my career in that industry had ended, I had become a corporate executive. I was traveling over 60,000 miles per year throughout North America, America and the Pacific Rim. In 1990, I remember talking with one of my older brothers and commenting, is this all there is? 
I'd accomplished more than I, or for that matter, anyone else ever thought I would. In the process, I had become mindlessly focused on the drive to acquire and achieve conventional wealth and success. But obtaining the brass ring wasn't as fulfilling as I dreamt it would be. Along the way, I had forgotten the promise I'd made to myself on that snowy January night in 1968. I eventually decided to leave corporate America, breaking away from the herd in order to lead it in a better direction. A short time later, I turned down two vice presidential roles so that I could begin the creation of what has become the Master of Business Leadership Program. For the past 21 years, I've been an executive coach assisting executives and organizations to bet on themselves by developing their emotional intelligence. There are MBL alumni living, currently living in the United States, Canada, UK, Europe, Japan, Germany, Bosnia, Africa, Australia, the Middle East, and Saudi Arabia. Wow. So there you go. That's uh, wow. Matt, First of all, that, that's an amazing story, Phil. I know. And, and I'm, I'm going to tell you one thing that resonates with me, right? Sure. So when, when you said you, you was with your dog and you went over the hill and you made the decision that, hey, I'm going to change my life, right? And I'm going to change the people's life around me, right? But the only way I can do it if I get over this hill, and the reason why I resonate with that. Um, I'm from the Bronx, right? So I'm 33 years old. Um, I have both my parents um, still here. Um, but in my high school, just my where I'm from was a tumultuous period, right? Just where I'm from, just my neighborhood alone. And that's why I want to have the better on yourself talk, because I feel like I did the same thing. Instead of me going over the hill, it was me going into tech, right? So, you know, I was in the streets. I was doing a bunch of stupid stuff. And then when when, when my son was born, it was that was the moment for me. So when I saw my son's eyes, it was like, this shit has to stop. You what know what I mean? What am I doing? Yeah. yeah, what am I doing here? And and that's how I got into tech sales. So I'm curious. My real question is, do you think everybody has that in them to say, hey, let me change my mindset? Because I'm always curious to know what made me turn right versus one of my friends who may have been in a similar scenario and made them turn left. I know exactly. I know exactly what made you turn right and your friends turn left. Okay. Um, and this is going to resonate with you when I tell you. Okay. Um, you had a you developed an emotional connection with a vision of a desired result that was more important to you than your fear of leaving your comfort zone to go get it. Wow. And see, there's so much we need to talk about. Uh, <sighs> That was real. That was deep, man. <laughs> that was that's, 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 if you like that, get ready for what's coming. All right. Because I'm going to tell you the root cause of all drama, chaos, and conflict everywhere in the world. Okay. And I'm going to tell you the solution to all drama, chaos, and conflict everywhere in the world. And it involves energy physics. Okay. And I've been proving what I'm about to tell you everywhere in the world for the last 21 years. Okay. But before I tell you what that is, I'm going to tell you why I'm going to, I'm going to explain the three major sources of resistance we have to change. Okay. <clears throat> Two are biological and one sociological. So here goes. The first biological one is that we have a part of our brain called the amygdala that for the last 500 million years has been trying to keep us safe and alive by making sure we never leave the comfort of our cave, the safety of our cave. And if we do, 
if we take an action that moves us outside of our comfort zone, that triggers our amygdala to secrete a hormone into our bloodstream called cortisol. And that causes the executive center of our brain, our prefrontal cortex to shut off. And we go into what psychologists refer to as an amygdala hijack. We go into fight, flight, or freeze mode. Some people lash out, some people run away, some people freeze like a deer in the headlights. And when that happens in conflict situations, people die. And when it happens in business or personal situations, relationships die. We burn trust. So if you think, as an analogy, if you think of your amygdala as a very frightened four-year-old child, the development of our emotional intelligence acts like a big brother or a big sister to quiet the amygdala response down and better enable us to feel the fear and anxiety that change and innovation always creates in us and move through it towards the vision of our desired results. And that's what I call emotional labor. Wow. So that's number one. Number two, wow. yeah, there's a second biological source of resistance we have to change is our existing habits. We can develop habits at any age. It's called brain, uh, uh, it, it, the actions we take create the neural network pathways in our brain that become our habits. And we can do that at any age. It's called brain plasticity or neurogenesis. But even though we can, we can develop new habits at any age that are better than our old habits, they're always going to be weaker than our old habits. And there's going to be an ongoing battle for control between our old habits and our new habits. So that's the second source of resistance we have to change. The third is sociological, meaning the people don't, around us don't want us to change. Because if we change and start to get better results, maybe they're going to have to change. And that scares the hell out of them. Yeah. And the best way to ensure they don't have to change is to make sure we fail. So they can say, see, I told you, now, shut up, get your head down and come back into the herd like the rest of us. Yeah. And most of this is going on unconsciously, but it's going on within everybody, everywhere, all the time, 24-7. So those are the three sources we have of resistance to doing what I guarantee, I guarantee on my life will create personal and career success for any for anybody. Wow. So, so here's... No, no, I was saying that I I learned so much just now from that, like, and it, and it resonates, and everything you said just makes so much sure, sense. Sure, right? sure it does. I'm yeah. just help, I'm just helping you connect the dots. No, for sure, and it's it's I I opened it for me, and that's why I'm curious. Do you think this the people that went left, right? So, yeah. do you think there was a specific block in that moment, and how does one remove that block, right? Because they might have had children. I'm just about, just about to tell you. Oh, perfect, perfect. Okay. So how did that blocks get put in? How did those blocks get put into place? Yeah. Those blocks are called resistance, judgment, and attachment outcome. They're called our walls. So here goes. Now, this is really important for your listeners because it's, it's the key to everything. Um, sounds really dramatic, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm like, you got a cliffhanger. I'm like, <laughs> when we're born... We're not born with a, we're not born with a conscious mind. See, we're only conscious, all of us, about three to five percent of the time. The rest of the time, we're relying on our unconscious habits to create our behaviors and our results, okay. which is okay. Because if we had to rely on our conscious mind to to survive, we'd be dead instantly. So, so the real powerhouse in us is our unconscious mind. 
So we're not born with a conscious mind. Our conscious mind doesn't kick in until we're about a year or so old. But we immediately start wiring up our brain, creating the neural network pathways that become our habits. And those habits are what I call victim habits. They're habits that cause us to unconsciously give away our energy. And we do it in a myriad of ways, how we communicate, listen, take responsibility, make decisions, all sorts of ways. But when we give when we give away our energy, it creates an energy deficit in us. E equals mc squared. Energy can't be created or destroyed. It just changes form. So when we're giving away our energy over here, unconsciously, we have to replace that energy by simultaneously trying to steal energy from other people over here. Wow. And that dynamic is going on inside of everybody, everywhere, all the time. Okay. Yeah. So that's the cause of all the drama, chaos, and conflict in the world. Um, it, that process causes our walls to go up. We become more resistive, more judgmental, more attached to outcome. So what I do in the Master of Business Leadership program is I show people how they're unconsciously giving away their energy, and I, be, I and I give them better habits to practice to stop doing that. And when they stop giving away their energy over here, their need to steal the energy of other people over here goes away. And in that process, because they don't need it. And in that process, that's how you develop your emotional intelligence. You raise your level of consciousness about what's going on in you and around you, and you become a more inspirational leader. Wow. Okay. That's, um, that's amazing. That's it amazing. is. And, and it's, really it works. It works 100% of the time with anybody in the world at any age doing anything provided they're willing to do the work of developing these habits that lower their walls. And the reality is, see, our educational system has failed us dramatically. For sure. For sure. And our employment system has failed us dramatically because they've done nothing to prepare us for the tsunami of change we face. We're completely, totally, absolutely unprepared for what we face. And the only shot we've got of surviving this century as a species is the development of our emotional intelligence. See, we're the virus on the planet. There isn't another species living on the planet that wouldn't be better off if we didn't exist. We are single-handedly destroying the planet and destroying ourselves because of ego-based fear. Yeah. We killed more people in the 20th century than all of recorded human history. And that trend is continuing in this century. Wow. Um, wow. All, all of that toxicity all of that drama, chaos, and conflict is a direct result of what happens when we raise our walls and give away our energy. The solution to all of it is to bet on yourself by developing the habits that stop you from giving away your energy. You want an example? Yeah, we love one. Absolutely. <laughs> This is one of the MBL habits called um, authentic listening. So <clears throat> the 
The key to authentic listening is not take anything personally. How somebody feels about you has nothing to do with you. It has to do with what's going on inside of them. Whether they like you or whether they hate you has nothing to do with you. But if how you feel about yourself is based on how somebody feels about you, who's running your life, you or them? Them all day. So if they like you, you like you. If they don't like you, you don't like you. So you're unconsciously giving away your energy to everybody else to determine how you should feel about yourself. How crazy is that? That's insane. But we do and it on so we do it on social media, twenty four seven. That, that we're, that's we're, beg, exactly. we're begging people to like us so that we can like us. That is so true, right? And then we're, we're, giving, like, we're giving away our energy left and right just in that one interest, that one instance, and it creates. It causes us to become more resistive, more judgmental, and more attached to outcome. Boy, I sure hope this podcast gets a good rating. No, this, this is no, you're, you're you're giving the game, and I'm so intrigued by this, right? And like, for me, for me to understand, like, how does someone, right, especially coming from my situation or my scenario, right? So when I tell people you got to bet on yourself, it seems like such a vague concept, right? It's like, okay, you bet on yourself, but what does that mean, right? What if somebody I know about putting the word, but what if somebody says, look, what is step one to betting on yourself, right? Like, how do I? You're an an example. I'm an example of betting on yourself. For sure. You bet on yourself. Your son or daughter was born? Yeah, it was was my son. So he's 13 now. When when your son was born, Uh you said, holy shit, this is real. Yeah. I just created a life. Yeah. Um, And you made a commitment to creating a better life. For sure. And that emotional connection you had to that desired result created the fuel, the motivation for you to move outside of your comfort zone and do the emotional labor that requires. Your your desire for a better result was stronger than the fear that got generated in you when you left your comfort zone. And... By doing that emotional labor, it started to teach you things about yourself and other people. And by the way, that's why you succeed in sales. For sure. (laughs) Yeah. It's because of that emotional labor you were doing. I'll I'll give you another example of a company that's doing the same thing that's generating over a trillion dollars a year in sales. Remind me, I'll do that later. I was going to say, I'm ready for it now. You got me excited. (laughs) Too bad. Um, But um, see, because we've grown up in herds, because we've evolved from, you know, society, social groups, um, it's important. it It was important for us to be able to determine, to sense who's trying to help us and who's trying to eat us. Right. Yeah, so true. So we developed these specialized brain cells in our prefrontal cortex that brain scientists call mirror neurons. I call them bullshit meters. That's why you can walk into a room and feel the energy in the room. Yeah, so true. You can have a conversation with somebody and feel whether they're being real or not. Yeah. Okay? That's your mirror neurons. 
You can sense the energy. You can sense whether the person has their walls up or their walls down. Yeah. You can sense whether the person is being resistive, judgmental, and attached, or attached to the outcome or not. So the development of your emotional intelligence enabled you to be a little more comfortable in your own skin. It enabled you to lower your walls so that when you're, when you're, when you're serving somebody, they get a sense that you're not trying to hurt them. You're trying to help them. That's so true. So you're building trust. For you're sure. demonstrating trustability by lowering your walls. That's amazing. It's amazing to actually put the actual words behind because I think we all feel that. We all know what it is. You know, you go in a room and you just know this is places for you or even uh, mirror, mirror neurons. Yeah, mirror neurons, right? And even intuition, right? If you feel like something bad is about to happen and then you- Mirror then you, neurons. Yeah, so that's amazing that we have that, right? And what, what made you want to get into this and understand this more deeper? Like aside from, you know, jumping over the hill and, you know, like wanting to better yourself, but what made you want to actually get into the science of it? Um, I wanted my life to have meaning. I wanted to make a contribution to everybody, as many people as I could. I knew, I know my life is finite. Our, our lives are all finite. Yeah. Um, so what the hell? You know, I mean, it's my being better off doesn't work unless you're better off too. Um, and it's a lot more fun when we get to play together, when we trust each other. Um, and I want to have as much fun as I can have. It's a great answer. I think we all do. And I, I think just getting, just getting to that place because it seems like you have you're at a place where where you have freedom, so to speak, right? Where you can say what you want, do what you want, go where you want to do, and you've accomplished a lot and seen a lot of things that a lot of people wouldn't, right? And I think that's the premise of everybody. What our, the goal is? I think that's the American dream, right? The yep. real American dream, yep. right? How does how does one? Like, how does one really get there and identify, like, even though these bad habits, like, can somebody at 56 years old with these bad habits, it's all about the emotional connection and what the outcomes you want. Is that where we tie it to? Like, what if, what if you don't get that? Let me give you an example of um, the journey. Let me, let me give you an example of comparing IQ with EQ. Okay. So let's think of um, IQ as uh, somebody giving you, $10,000 a day for 31 days. Okay. So at the end of 31 days, you've got $310,000. Yeah. And let's think of the development of your emotional intelligence is getting a, as getting a penny that doubles in value every day for 31 days. So day one, you've got a penny. Day two, you've got two pennies. Day three, you've got four pennies. Day 31, you've got $10.7 million. The point is that it doesn't take any more effort to go from day 30 to day 31 than it did to go from day one to day two. But it's a journey. It's yeah. a it's a never-ending journey. And by the way, day 40 is over 5 billion. Day 50 is over 5 trillion. Wow. So the development of our emotional intelligence will have a massive, a remarkable effect on your results far greater than IQ. 
See, IQ is largely genetic. If you've got 160 IQ, your parents had a high IQ. They, they had a high IQ, and you just you inherited those genes. Yeah. But the development of emotional intelligence is something that anybody can do. By yeah. doing the emotional labor, the kind of emotional labor that you've been doing, yeah. that I've been doing. Yeah. Anybody can develop their emotional intelligence. And because of the accelerating rate of global change, it is essential we do. The development of our emotional intelligence will guarantee our success, both career and professional. Imagine another analogy. Imagine you were able to buy Apple stock when it first came on the market. Oh, no brainer. (laughs) <laughs> how much would how much would you spend? Whew, right now, everything I have on it. <laughs> would, would you would you borrow? No. Of course you would. I wouldn't want to. I You'd get to. every nickel you could you could every thousand dollars you spend on Apple stock might be worth several million or tens of millions today. Yeah, true. So it's a sure thing. Yeah. And you'd be in on the ground floor. Yeah. That's what I'm saying about emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is going to become a multi-trillion dollar industry because it is an essential piece of our development that every person on the planet is is missing. And because of the tsunami of change we're facing, it's going to drive people in this direction because it's the only solution to be able to reduce the drama, chaos, and conflict that changes. We're all being ripped out of our comfort zones at an accelerating rate. COVID being a big example. Yeah, COVID was a gift. Yep. Because it shows us how bad we suck at change. What's coming? What's coming down the road? It's going to make COVID look like nothing. Yeah. How about climate change? Yeah. How right. about CRISPR Cas9 gene editing technology? How about AI? How about other pandemics? Yeah. Mark Twain once said, "If the only way mankind can learn is through experience, I see no hope for mankind." Meaning, if the only way we can learn is by putting our hand on the stove. That assumes that we're going to be around to learn from it. Yep. And a lot of these things that we're facing, we don't get a do-over. For sure. We've, we've, got to, we've got to develop the wisdom, the emotional intelligence to not put our hand on the stove in the first place. Yeah. And we are a long way away, away from having that wisdom, away from having that emotional intelligence. So quite frankly, it doesn't look good for us. I'm glad I'm my age and not your age. I don't mean that. I don't. I don't no, mean this. I don't mean to be mean right. about that. No, it's frightening. I I think about these things for my kids, right? My four year old. Yeah, you're. Yeah, you're oh, Jesus. Like, you know, oh, there, there are there are kids in there are kids in grade school committing suicide. Yeah, for sure. Because they're scared to death of the world that they're that they're moving into, and they don't even have a vote. Yeah. They don't even have a vote. You're right. Absolutely right. So it's up to us 
we have to start to change our trajectory by developing our emotional intelligence. If they have a shot, we have to stand up and do the very difficult emotional labor that the development of our emotional intelligence requires. And it's not easy. I sure as hell wouldn't have done it if I hadn't been born with dyslexia. Guaranteed. See, the development of emotional intelligence is like Navy SEAL training for your emotions. It's like nobody would ever go to a dentist unless they were either in pain or trying to avoid pain. Yeah. So there's only two sources of motivation that will cause us to leave our comfort zone. One is pain. The other one is passion or love. Um, And hardly anybody's connected to their passion. So for the most part, the small percentage of people that are willing to leave their comfort zone and do the emotional labor that their emotional intelligence requires are driven by fear. They're driven by pain. They're driven by an urgent desire for better results than they're currently getting. So true. Well, my last question to you, Phil, because I could talk about this all day. Like, this is so interesting to me and I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom. Right. How would what advice would you give to me to scale this out for people back in my neighborhood? Because, like, that's my mission statement. The reason why I stepped off and wanted to do LinkedIn and be on the, you know, the scene, tell my story, share my experience. Be an example of the behavior, be an example of emotionally, be an example, not through your words, through your actions. Okay. See, if you need a title to get people to follow you, you're not a a leader. If your actions don't inspire people to follow you, you're not a leader. There you go. And here's another little piece of information. Um, Because of our biology, we tend to burn trust five to seven times faster than we can earn trust. What that means is that if your walls are up just 15% of the time, if you're giving away your energy just 15% of the time, if you're being resistive, judgmental, or attached to outcome just 15% of the time, you're actually burning trust, not earning trust. Wow. That's insane. That's, that's so real. That was a that was a mic drop moment. I wish I had my sound effects, and I wish I wasn't so stuffy oh, right now. <laughs> let me finish off by telling you who the company is. Okay. Let me tell you who the company is, whose sole primary focus on hiring is they're looking for emotional intelligence. Yeah. Which one? That company, company is Apple. Okay. I was going to go. That's why when you walk into an Apple store, that energy you feel is an example of a more emotionally intelligent environment. They're not trying to sell you anything. They're trying to understand your pain and, if possible, help you with your pain. Whether or not you buy anything is secondary to their desire to want to serve you. They want you to have a great experience. And maybe you'll go tell your friends and maybe they'll tell their friends. And so that energy, notice the energy within the Apple store is much lighter than the energy of the stores surrounding the Apple store. So the development of our emotional intelligence represents the future of organizational development. Apple, Google, Southwest Airlines, JetBlue, Infosys, Whole Foods, FedEx, Costco, and others more and more are hiring, promoting, and developing emotional intelligence. That's, that's, it's, 
Great. And now that you mentioned it, you're absolutely right, right? And that's that should be the that should be the model because what you said, like the experience, everything, whether it's online, whether it's offline, whether it's brick and mortar, everything is experience and selling into that pain, right? And that's the the beauty of marketing and all that good stuff. But this is an amazing conversation, Phil. And I definitely want to thank you for taking time to come here. Um for everyone listening, this is me and Phil's first conversation, and it is a hell of a one. <laughs> and I'm intrigued. I would love a part two. I would love to just just learn more about this concept and, and learn more about, about you, sir. But um, just want to thank you for taking time out your day. It was an absolute pleasure. I'm sure the listeners, our minds are blowing, and we're thinking about how we can better on ourselves. So for all those people out there, it's all a mindset. It's all a mindset, and it's all about the emotional intelligence as well. And how do you tie that back to your out- outcomes and your actions, right? Because it's one thing to say it. It's another deal. Yeah. And so I want to leave your listeners with this. Um, The one thing I'd like them to take away from this is that the development of their emotional intelligence will guarantee that the rest of their life is the best of their life. It will guarantee their success. It will guarantee not only on a on a career level, but also on a personal level. That's how you bet on yourself. You bet on yourself by developing your emotional intelligence. That's it. That's it. And and guys, and for those listening, Phil is living proof. Myself, I'm living proof, right? It could have went a lot of different scenarios. I could have easily went left, right? But it was that one thing that I was passionate about. That emotional connection for me was family, right? And then when it comes to working, my passion was how do I how do I show other people who look like me, dress like me, that it's okay for you to be you in tech? Like one thing that I said in the last podcast is like, how can I tell my kids they can be whatever they want to be if I'm afraid to be myself in tech? You don't tell them, you show them. You show them. Exactly. And that's what I that's See, what that's I the difference between intellect. That's the difference between I didn't I didn't mention this. The difference between intellectual intelligence and emotional intelligence is Emotional intelligence is an experiential process. It's not an intellectual process. So you can't develop your emotional intelligence by having a conversation like this yeah. or or um, reading a book or watching a video. The only way you develop your emotional intelligence, those are intellectual processes. The way that you develop your emotional intelligence is based on what you do, not what you think. Actually, what you do will change what you think. That's a, that's a great drop, mic dropper right there, man. You was you you so shared so many different gems, Phil. Like Phil, Phil, Phil Johnson, Phil Johnson out. Yeah, right. <laughs> but thank you again, Phil. It was My an pleasure. absolute pleasure. Um, if you guys want to connect with Phil, go on LinkedIn. He's at Phil Johnson. Uh, the course is MBL, as you see in the background. He's a great guy, as you guys can see. You know, please, you ping him. Make sure you follow him, share his content. I know I will be. And, Phil, it was an absolute pleasure, brother. I would love to keep in touch with you. And uh, I love you. that, Jared. Thank you. Thank thanks you. Again, for, thanks for the work you're doing. No, thank you, man. Thank you. And uh, it's an honor, man. So thank you guys for, for showing up for another episode of More Than a Title. This was amazing. And I'm on cloud nine now. And I'm like, holy <laughs> crap. <laughs> but, but I'll see you guys next week. Actually, we have a bonus episode tomorrow with Arjun, who's the CEO of Hello Woofy. So tune in tomorrow, same time. And Phil, thank you again. And we'll see you guys for next episode of More Than a Title.